One of my driving passions in life uh, is, is for high school students. And here's, here's what I want to talk about today. I've entitled this talk, I've entitled it, um, The Sea of Mediocrity. The Sea of Mediocrity. Are you like, what the heck is he talking about? Well, the sea of mediocrity is this thing that I'm finding um, that Christians, Christians, I say this all the time because I want you to catch this. Christians, little Christ, little examples, little replicas of Christ, we, that's us, that's you, that's me. We've become people who are content to exist in the sea of mediocrity. When it comes to following Christ, we, we're the guilty ones. We become people who are okay with the status quo. You're like, what are you talking about? I'm not okay with the status quo. I'm not okay with that. I'm on fire for Jesus Christ. I'm, you know, I'm rad. I'm into it, man. I'm all about it. You're like, what is the sea of mediocrity? What are you talking about, man? The sea of mediocrity. The sea of mediocrity is, is that thing that tells you to come to church only because your parents tell you to come to church. Man, if that didn't step on your toes, I don't know what will because in the conversations that I've been having lately, I'm, I'm finding out that a lot of high school students, a lot of high school students, they come to church out of habit. It's like a bad word. They come to church because it's a tradition. They come to church because, you know what, my parents raised me in the church, and if I don't come to church, I'm not going to get my allowance. Wow. I come to church because I know that if I don't come to church, my parents will be disappointed in me. I know that if I don't come to church, people will think, they'll think less of me. They won't think that I'm as cool. They won't think that I'm a strong Christian. They won't think... And this sea of mediocrity tells us that, you know what? Just do what you have to do to get by. Just, just kind of be there. Just do what you need to do. Be that casual Christian. Be that complacent Christian. But I want to challenge you students. Listen to me. This isn't just in this room. You see, I look out at you and I see these amazing individuals who love Jesus Christ. And I'm so excited about that. But let me tell you, there's an epidemic in the church. And when I say the church, I don't mean the walls. I mean the people, the people, the followers of Christ. We are the church. There's this epidemic in the church, in the people of God, where we're okay with mediocrity, where we're okay with worshiping God one hour a week. Let me say this. I've said it before, that if you think... If you think, you follower of Christ, if you think that you can come to church on Sunday morning, on Sunday morning, once every week, for one hour, in the high school ministry, and that you can grow in your relationship with Christ, let me debunk the myth for you. It's not true. It won't happen. You'll never grow. You won't get deeper in your relationship with Christ. You won't grow in depth. You won't grow in intimate relationships. It won't happen. It just won't. Following Christ is something that takes place outside of what just happens on Sunday morning, one hour a week. We have to shake up. We have to shake up this sea of mediocrity in God's people. And it's going to start with us. 
And let me tell you, when I say these things to you, I am just as convicted about my complacency. Just as convicted. All right. Let's open God's word. I love it. I love it. That is excellent. In fact, let's stand. Let's stand and read it. That was very good. Revelation. Revelation. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We're going to put the words on the screen for you. But man, you should bring it. You should bring it because you might want to circle something or underline something. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. Here we go. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, God. Wow, your word is so true, God. It's so true and it cuts to the quick, God. It, it cuts straight to the heart. God, I pray that for us, God, that we would be so displeased with mediocrity. God, that we would be scared to death to get to the end of our lives and realize that, man, that we went to church. We were... We were at Bible study every week, but outside of that, our lives were not marked with a deep desire to know Jesus Christ on a very personal level. I pray this morning, Father, that you would challenge us to the core of who we are, to hear from you about how you want us to live our lives. All God's people said, Amen. take a seat, take a seat, and we'll make you stand the whole time. It reminds me of this story. I heard about this, this 12-year-old kid back in the day before they had automobiles. Now, 12-year-old kids back in the day who lived on farms that didn't have automobiles had to hike it. I mean, they had to hike it. And if you were poor, you didn't have a horse, you had no mode of transportation, 12 years old, you want to do something, that means you just got to walk. And they weren't worried about people getting abducted. They weren't worried about kids going missing. They just, sure, Johnny, go ahead, man. Go ahead, go to town. It's only six miles. <laughs> Johnny's like, oh, it'll take me no time at all. Twelve hours later, he's there. It stinks. It's not even cool. But uh, this little guy, Johnny, heard that the circus was coming to town, and he said to his dad, oh, my, there's nothing, nothing more that I would ever want to do in the world than to go into town and see the circus. So Johnny's dad, uh, although very poor, having no money, just a little farming family, said, well, you know what, Johnny, I tell you what. If you finish all of your chores early, you finish them by Saturday, I'll let you go to the circus on Saturday. I'll let you go into town, go to the circus. So Johnny, man, he's working hard all week, and he gets all of his chores done early, and his, dad, his dad's there at the breakfast table when Johnny comes in and says, Papa, I finished uh, all my chores. I just want to go to the circus. Is there any way I can go to the circus? His, his dad reaches into his pocket and pulls out a $1 bill. $1. Now, you might think, wow, that is not a lot of money. I bet you I can find that on the floor in here. But back then, that was a lot of money. So his dad pulls out a dollar and says, all right, Johnny, be careful. This is one dollar. This is it. This is all you're going to get. Take this one dollar, make your way into town, make your way to the circus. So Johnny takes the dollar. Oh, thank you, Papa. Thank you so much. Puts it in his pocket. 
and heads off for town, heads out to see the circus. Now, Johnny being only 12 years old, never having seen the circus, not knowing anything about the circus, just wildly thinking it's going to be amazing, ends up coming across the parade into town, the circus parade. And as the parade's coming into town, Johnny, just, his mind is blown, and he's looking, and he's like, wow, there's a bear in a cage, and it's growling. This is amazing, and there are lions, and look at the jugglers juggling, and all these crazy things, and he's, his mind is just blown. He can't believe what he's seeing. He watches the whole parade pass him by. He's so excited. I can't believe it. I've finally gotten to see the circus. And at the very end, bringing up the end is just the regular old ordinary clowns. Clowns scare me. I don't know about you. Clowns scare anybody else? I'm scared of clowns. <laughs> not Johnny, though. Johnny's not scared of clowns. I don't know. Johnny pulls out his $1 bill, and the, the clown, the last guy in the parade, is walking by, and he walks up to him, and he gives him the $1 bill. And the clown's like, all right, I'll take the money. Johnny turns and runs home, all the way home. What's wrong with this story? Yeah. Johnny, what are you doing, dude? You only saw the lions in their cages. You only saw the bears in their cages. You only saw a little bit of what the show might have been like. They hadn't even put up the tent yet. But Johnny, being so, so young and so innocent, did not realize that all he had seen was the parade on the way to the real circus. And you see, Johnny settled for the parade. He settled just seeing them make their way to the big show to the great event, to the big circus, and he missed out. He missed out on the joy and the excitement of the great circus. You know what, young people? I feel like, I feel like that sometimes we as Christians, as little Christ, we settle for the second best. We settle for the second best. We're not willing to hold out we're not willing to do whatever it takes to do what God wants us to do. We're not willing to take any step that he asks us to take. Verse 15 in Revelations, I want to read it to you. It says, I know your deeds, that you were neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. What classifies mediocrity, young people? Knowing the truth, but not living it. Knowing the truth, but not living it. It's like the difference between the thermostat in the thermometer. Who knows the difference? You've heard this before, I'm sure. The thermostat and the thermometer. Well, the thermometer, it does one thing and one thing only. It tells you the temperature of something. It tells you the temperature of something. But the thermostat, on the other hand, it controls the temperature. It controls the temperature. You see, young people as followers of Christ, it's not our job to read the temperature in the body of Christ, it is our job to set the tone. It's our job to call followers to the depth. It's our job to call unbelievers to Jesus Christ. We are to be the thermostats. What else classifies mediocrity? The idea that living for Christ is about the don't do's instead of the do's. You know one thing that I hate, that I hate, is when people only think about the don't do's let me tell you, high school students, don't you do this and don't you do that. Don't you drink. Don't you have sex. Don't talk bad. Don't, don't be mean. Don't, 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 don't. My goodness. 
When are you ever going to figure out that living for Christ is not really about the don't do's? Because you could live a life like I did all the way up into your college years where you don't do anything wrong. You don't do anything bad. But you, but you also don't actually just live for Christ. You see, I was confused growing up. I thought that somehow if I could avoid sin, if I could not have sex before I got married, if I could just not drink, man, don't drink. It's bad to drink until you're of age, you know. If I can just not do that, man, God will be so pleased with me. He'll be so happy with me. And let me tell you, those are good things. I hope that you do those things too. But those don't do's are not an excuse for a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't miss this, people. God is not concerned necessarily with what you don't do. It's what you do to follow him. It's when you get in his word and it radically changes your life. It's when you decide to share his love with people who are unlovely. It's when you decide to give of yourself, when you decide to give your spring break, when you decide to give your reputation, when you decide to give your friendships, your relationships, your family, your problems. It's when you decide to do that that God is pleased with your walk with him. Living for Christ is not about the don't do's because that's mediocre thinking. It is what are you doing? Are you a person of action? Are you a follower of action? Following connotates action. Uh, compartmentalism. I made up this word. It's not a true word. Don't look it up in the dictionary. Compartmental is, but compartmentalism is actually not a word. What does this word mean? You wouldn't know because it's not in the dictionary. Uh, one of the things that I see in our culture that frightens me to death is our ability, I say our because we're in the same generation, believe it or not. It's our ability to live as several different people. Now listen, hear me out. Some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about because in school, you're one person. You're one kind of person. But then on the internet, you are a way different person than you are at school, right? You know? Like if you're a short, chubby guy like me, on the internet, you're like 6'5", all muscle, pure jack. You know what I'm saying? Blonde hair, blue eyes. On the internet, but in real life, you're just who you are. But then at school, you're a different person. But then at church, oh, let me tell you, you are one holy, righteous, pure, innocent teenager. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever known someone like that? Have you? You ever known anybody who, man, they are, boy. Then on the football field, man, they're, they're way different, man. I'm telling you. They're in the bottom of the pile trying to break people's legs. Dirty players. But then in the, in the locker room, they're even a different person there. And you see, compartmentalism means our ability as young people, our ability as people to be different people. You see, somewhere we've let society get into us and tell us, you know what? It's okay to have a church you. That's okay. That's good. Have a nice, peaceful church you who bows to everyone. Oh, hi. Welcome to church. And then have a nasty, dirty, potty mouth when you're in the locker room. Or when you're at school. No one would look at you and say, hmm, I bet that kid is a follower of Christ. Because you're living a different life. That's what mediocrity looks like, young people, when you look like you're sold out for Christ on Sunday morning, but the rest of the week your heart is far from him. 
God expects more than mediocre living from us. He just said it in Revelations chapter 3, verse 15. He said, I know your deeds. You come to church on Sunday morning and you look like you follow me, but I really know the truth. I'm God. I see it all. You can't hide from me. And he said, because you're neither hot nor cold. Sure, you're not, you're not, you're not doing anything really, really bad. But you're also not living the way that you know God wants you to live. And it's not acceptable. He's not okay with that. Look what he says in verse 16. He says, so, because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I am going to spit you from my mouth. What do you think God thinks about mediocrity? It makes him sick to his stomach. He's going to throw up. And please, don't feel like I'm talking down to you because I'm not. I'm right there in the same boat with you. God hates my mediocrity. And when he looks down at his people and he sees us settling for second best, he sees us living a life of the don't do's instead of what he wants us to do. When he sees that our hearts really aren't in it, that we just come and we put on a show at church, he knows and it makes him sick. And he wants to throw up because he has so much better planned for us. Our God wants us to live out every second for him to give us the fullest joy and the fullest life we could ever have without holding back. But sometimes we don't do it. Mediocrity makes God sick to his stomach. It's like a, a lukewarm cup of Starbucks coffee. Anybody ever buy a nice hot vanilla latte? I do all the time. I love them. It's a girl drink. Make fun of me. Go ahead. What's up? You want a piece of me? No, the vanilla latte, right? It's, it's super good. And it's hot, and you take that first drink, and it almost burns your mouth, but it tastes so good when it hits your lips. You just can't stop. You know what I'm saying? And, um, but then what happens is, you, if you're me, you come to the office, and people start to talk to you. They say, hey, could you come look at this? Hey, could you come see this? Could you, hey, look at our new drum set, you know? Hey, come, come look at this, you know? And all of a sudden, I'm going all over the place, and I forget about that cup of coffee. Forget about that vanilla latte. Now, what happens when I walk back in an hour and 15 minutes later, and I grab that nice cup of coffee and take a swig? Ooh, <laughs> that's nasty. It's lukewarm. I only drink my vanilla lattes on ice or burning hot. And that's what God's saying too. Listen to me, young people. God is saying, look, don't give me the cup of coffee that is lukewarm, that's room temperature. I either want it on ice, I either want it on ice, non-existent, acknowledging that you're far from me, or I want it on fire, burning hot. That's what our God expects from us. Are you a room temperature Christian? Wow. I ask myself that question a lot. Am I a room temperature Christian? Am I just the temperature of whatever's surrounding me? If so, it's time to make a change. Matthew 7, 21. Great verse. I want to read it to you real quick. Just close my Bible. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Listen to what it says. This is Jesus, by the way. Powerful, powerful stuff. God's son said this. He said to a bunch of people who thought they were pretty cool, pretty righteous, they had it all together, boy, I'm deep, 
I know God, I worship him, I follow him, I do all the don't do's really well. I follow all the 613 laws and commandments. This is what he said to them. He said, listen to me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus Christ said that. God's own son said it. A life of mediocrity is one that leads the world and you to believe that you are doing everything you should be doing. But you know in your heart of hearts, if you have been living a lukewarm life for Christ, make a change. Stop it. Verse 17 in, in Revelations, moving forward, it says, You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Listen, people, part of the difficulty of living for Christ in the good old U.S. of A. is this. It's easy. It's easy to live for Christ here. On very rare occasions will people get shot because they follow Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you, when Christ died and he rose again, in the generations immediately following his death, choosing to follow Christ meant choosing death for certain. And when you chose to follow him, you did so with the knowledge that you may be choosing to die for him. But anymore, it's easy. You want to come to church? Nobody's going to stop you. Policemen will not arrest you and say, where are you going? Oh, oh you're hiding your Bible under your chair. Oh, not to church. I don't, I don't know who Jesus Christ is. That doesn't happen here. And what the Bible says is, look, sometimes, sometimes it gets too easy and we forget how important it is to live out every second for Jesus Christ. Now, nobody would wish to be persecuted or punished for following Christ. But it's funny that if you look back across history, the, the growth in the church is at its greatest. When people endure persecution, when people die for their faith, the church just explodes. And I'm not saying, hey, let's just go out and tell people to kill us because we're Christians. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we cannot afford to be lulled into complacency just because our society allows us to worship our God. Does that make sense? I hope so. John 15, 5. John 15, 5. I want to read this verse to you. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, like it said in Revelations 3.17, it said, look, God says all the people, they think they have everything they need. They have everything they need for life. They have enough money. They have enough bread. They have enough gas. They have a home. Their families are safe. And they don't realize that they need me anymore. Well, Jesus said, I'm the vine. Away from me, there is no life. 
But yet as Christians, somehow we forget that God, God sent his son and his son said, hey, I am the way and the truth and nobody comes to the Father except through me. We can't forget, young people, that our God is a jealous God. And apart from him, there is no life. Security, safety, comfort in a Christian life might lead you down the wrong path. Don't let it lull you to sleep to the fact that Jesus Christ is calling you to live every second for him. Reminds me of the story of the rich young ruler. Remember that story? It's in Matthew and in Luke. This guy comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I need to do to get to heaven? Jesus said, well, that's easy. Just follow the Ten Commandments. And this smart, intelligent lawyer goes, well, I've done that. I've kept every one of them. She said, well, that's good. But one thing you lack, sell everything you own and give up the very thing that is keeping you, keeping you from having an intimate relationship with me. And then when nothing is standing between you and I, you will know what it means to truly follow me. And Jesus wasn't saying, look, you have to be poor to be a Christian. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying, examine your life, and just because you follow the Ten Commandments, don't assume that that means you have given over every part of your life to Christ. Don't make that assumption. God expects every single thing. Don't you dare hold something back. In conclusion, the last verse, I want to read it. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. It says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You see, after God's word, after God's word smacks us in the face for being complacent and lazy and lackadaisical Christians, he turns right around and says, but behold, I haven't forsaken you. I stand at the door to your heart and I knock. And I'm waiting for you to come back to me. If you're like, wow, he's passionate today. You're right. Because God is calling us back to him. He's calling us to put aside whatever it is that's distracting us. Like the video said, whatever pain, whatever hurt, whatever broken relationships, our family life, our past, our issues with money, our issues with sex, our issues with friends. He's calling us to let that go. And in fact, he's waiting, he's standing, and he's knocking and saying, just come to me, open the door, I'm right here, I want you back, you're mine. The question is this morning, are you willing to latch on to Jesus Christ and step out of the sea of mediocrity, step out of living for Christ in a weak way, step out of doing this thing in a mediocre fashion? And latching on to Jesus Christ and saying, I have no life without you. I have no life without you. I'm opening the door to you right now. Come into my heart. Once again, give me a passion and a fire for following you. Young people, I, I know that some of you, you want to grow deep. You want to grow deep in your relationship with Christ. So here it comes. We want you to do that. We're going to provide you the opportunity to do that. But it's up to you. You see, your mama can't make you. I can't make you. Your friends won't make you. 
It's got to be up to you. And how we're going to do that is we're going to do that in a little thing called collision groups. Collision groups start not next week. Next week is Collide. And we're going to throw a party for collision groups. And I want every single one of you to be here next Wednesday night at 6.30. Every single one of you. And we're going to talk about these collision groups and we're going to celebrate the start of these collision groups. And then these collision groups start not this coming Wednesday, but the 16th. That next Wednesday. And I want every single one of you in a collision group. Every one of you. Every one of you. But listen, although I want you there, I can't make you go. You're right. Some of you saying, you and my daddy, you can't make me do nothing. You're right. I'm not. I can't make you. And I wouldn't make you even if I could. But I'm telling you, if you want to grow in your relationship with Christ, come this next Wednesday night. Meet your collision group. Meet them. And then the next Wednesday night, go to the home here in the Katy area and meet with some people who are going to challenge you to grow in your faith. All right? What do you think? You okay with that? Okay, here's how I want to close out. I want to do something different. Man, we just, we need to pray. Because this is a big topic, this is a lot to swallow. Here's what I want to do. We got a lot of people in here. I don't even know how this is going to work. It probably won't work. But that's okay. I just want everybody to get up and just come, just walk towards the middle. Everybody. Man, just put your hand on somebody's shoulder. Just walk towards the middle. Good. Good. Everybody's like, ooh, I don't want to touch her. I want to touch him. That's gross. Just kidding. That's okay. You can come close. You can come close. Thank you. Come on. Everybody. Everybody in the room. Nobody's left out. Everybody pull forward. We're almost done, I promise. No. You're right. Everybody pull forward. Good. Nobody's left out. All right. Just put your hand up on somebody's shoulder. Please don't do anything sneaky. I'm trusting you, high school students. Somebody like, hey, stop it. What are you doing? Just kidding. All right. Here's the deal. We're going to pray. We're going to pray that God will put a fire in our hearts for him and for his word. That God will keep us from mediocrity. That he'll challenge us with a deep, hot passion for him. And young people, you get into these collision groups. That's where you're going to grow. And if you do that, God will speak to you and he will work in your life. I promise you that. You won't get it what you need here on Sunday morning. I promise you. I know. I know. I did that for years and years and years. And it wasn't until I decided to be proactive in my faith that God rocked my world and he changed me. I've never been the same. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, God. Man, we're so, God, just in awe of how awesome you are. God, that you can look down at us and... God, even though sometimes you probably get a little sick to your stomach, the reality is that you still love us, that you were willing to give your son to die for us. God, I pray that we wouldn't take even one second for granted, but God, that we would live out every moment that you give us, that you grace us with, with passion for you. God, change our lives. Help us to do everything we can to follow you. God, help us to reach this community for you, in your name. All God's people said? Amen. All right, we'll see you Wednesday night, 6.30, right here. 6.30, right here.